Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Not running your business on NetSuite is like trying to sink a putt with a cap pulled over your eyes. NetSuite by Oracle is the number one cloud financial system, giving you visibility and control of your financials, inventory, budgeting, and more all in one place. 93% of surveyed businesses increase their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 31,000 businesses already use NetSuite. This summer, NetSuite has a special financing program for those ready to upgrade at netsuite.com go. netsuite.com go. It is the Blue Room on Radio City Talk. Joining me in the studio tonight are Gav Buckland and Mike Diascia, and we are going to reflect on a mixed week for Everton, you could say. Uh, the club won on Saturday against Brighton, uh, put on that derby defeat to the back of everyone's mind for the time being, and then we had the AGM on Tuesday with some very interesting things said, uh, most notably the losses Everton uh, have suffered. Um, but we'll talk about the football first. Um, Gav, I'll come to you. Uh, Saturday, Brighton just felt very much needed, didn't it? Um, not the best performance. It felt like a bit of a six out of ten all round for everybody. Yeah, but that was enough. I thought Brighton weren't that great. I've seen quite, funny enough, seen quite a bit of Brighton this season. I thought, uh, thought they were disappointing. Didn't offer much up top. Uh, I wanted to see a performance or dare I say effort and the and the results on mm. uh, on Saturday and just about got both um, by the skin of our teeth and. And to be fair, although we got knocked out of the cup, our league form has been pretty good, hasn't it, since uh, Marco left. So, you know, it was uh, you know it carries on the good league form. To be fair, interesting game. I thought it was always going to be a weird one for them. A little bit of damned if you do, damned if you don't from a lot of the fans. Whereas if they lost, it would have been, oh well, that's it. Now it's a slope to relegation. And if they win, those people are going, well, where was that performance a week ago? Everyone's just got to shake it off now. That's just the way it's <laughs> going to be. I think the players have put the first step forwards towards doing that. And I agree with Gav, Brighton were awful. Mm. It's a weird one with Brighton because I really hope they don't go down because next season we are going to be due some luck against them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I was, I was going to start with that. That was, that was the, I'll come back to you first on it, Mike. The, you know, I think it, being in the ground, it was very, it was very weird atmosphere before the game. It was sort of like everyone just, just got there quite reluctantly sat there and were like, come on lads, you need to you need to entertain us here after what happened last week and it was quite muted until that incident with the with the penalty. Um and I sit in the Gladys Street and I could very much see from our end that it was it was pretty clear cut. It was just the whole the whole thing about it not giving was bizarre enough. But then you sort of in the same respect as Dominic Carvert Lewin's goal, I was saying, well this is gonna get disallowed, obviously. I was sat there going, well this is gonna get overturned on VAR obviously as well and it just didn't happen it was a really strange one especially when you consider was it Michael Oliver was the VAR ref and if there's going to be one referee you think actually do you know what he might actually make the right call here it'd be Michael Oliver but it's just as inept as the rest of them it's ridiculous and I think obviously it didn't help the fact that Lewis Dunk should have been sent off that makes the call a lot harder for the individual making that decision but it's exactly what VAR is it's not objective it's just another layer of subjectivity lashed on top of an already inept layer of subjectivity just useless interesting there was a uh, an interview with Keith Hackett who used to be used to be top referee 30 years ago Keith Hackett mm-hmm. and I think he was chairman of the referees yeah he was in charge for a bit wasn't he 
a few months ago and he was talking about you need to understand the psychology of referees and the referee in a hierarchy in terms of making some of these decisions. That if you've got somebody like Michael Oliver who's in the middle, say, and just to hypothetically, you know, and a junior referee is doing VAR, has that junior referee, you know, somebody just starts, starts mm. have they got the, the like, yeah, same yeah. bottle or yeah. whatever to, to overturn a decision in a high profile game of, mm. you know, of Michael Oliver, you know? And I was thinking about that, maybe that would just worked a little bit in reverse on, yeah. on Saturday. That Michael Oliver is the senior, not senior, I mean, I think there's people been doing it longer than, you know, regards being the best referee. And did, he do, did he do Friday night's game? Yeah, yeah he, he did, did. Yeah, yeah. I, I would query, by the way, why somebody can ref of a Friday night and do VAR of a Saturday yeah, yeah. for a start, because isn't refereeing a Premier League game is a very stressful you know, like, well, it's a knackering experience, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like a player, should you be doing VAR the next day? Is the first question to say, yeah, So, right, open up five minutes of the game, big decision. Oliver, the senior referee, best referee in the country, got somebody who's just started, yeah, making it. Does he think, is that I wouldn't say this is a conscious mm. thing, is does he think I'm gonna undermine him completely <laughs> <laughs> if I if I give overrule him here? Mm. And and there's like you know that thing about conscious and unconscious bias and all that type yeah. of stuff, you know. And I, and I, what Hackett said was right. And I'm just wondering, maybe unconsciously that came into. He didn't want to throw thinking, his mates under the bus effectively yeah. in his first five minutes yeah. of, a, of a big Premier League game, you know. Which is why the referee shouldn't be yeah. sat in front of VAR. But mm. it's why you should have independent referees who are not involved at all with the with yeah. the um, you know referee in Premier yeah. League games. You should be totally independent. Um, you know, because you get you, you know, one like to people get accused of you know, I'll scratch you. You know, next time I do a bad one, you leave, don't don't overturn <laughs> it. I mean, I do for you, don't overturn it. Yeah. I'd like to see, but like I said, there's probably yeah. they don't, they're not going to say that, but there might be a bit of there is, unconscious. There is, there is, you know, there has to be. Yeah. It's inescapable. All all, all organisations of hierarchies, regardless about whether you work here, whether in you work a production company or a, an office, or whatever. And if you're a, if you're the middle person in the hierarchy. You're more likely to overrule the. Dec- you're more likely to question a decision made by a junior member of the staff than your boss or yeah. somebody more senior. That's just mm. the way people operate. That's just the psychology of things, and that to me has what Hackett was saying. That has to come in to VAR. Mm. It's sure because because people are just people, you know, and uh, and it'd be interesting to see a breakdown about. VAR decisions overturned. Who was the referee? Mm. You know, like you've seen. I'd like yeah. to see the stats on that about you know about that type of thing. And I'm just thinking maybe unconsciously that that might have gone into the into that decision. It was because it was early in the game. If it had been 80 minutes into the game, it might have been a slightly slightly different. I don't know. Decision. We we were denied a few that were yeah, later yeah. in the game as well, wasn't? Yeah, it? but that was mm. a big decision in the uh, in, in terms of the game, wasn't it? You know, um, and it, it I was just aligning it really to what Keith Hackett said a few months ago and thinking hmm, maybe he's got a point there. Mm. It was an interesting one though because I think I, after Tottenham up and you look at the incorrect calls and I'll give the Montoya one as fifty fifty the handball where he sort of stops it with his armpit. Mm. Let's, I didn't think that one was a well, no. That's it's one of them where you see him given, see him not given. Mm. But the ones that you would say either Stonewall obviously a penalty or the one at their gaff that obviously wasn't a penalty that was overturned. Five incorrect decisions if you include like just penalty box and red card incidents. That's ridiculous. Over the course of two fixtures between the same two teams. It's just, of course, you want to make sure that the high Of course, because Richardson got dragged down, didn't he? Well, exactly. In the away game, there yeah. was, and you've got Holgate getting pushed as well, and then I can't remember what the other one was, but there was another one as well. And it's just ridiculous that you get to a stage where there was such a high-profile one in the first game, and you would think that the referees would obviously get together and go, we're going to make sure this one this one goes, goes by swimmingly. There'll be nothing you can say about this one. No injustice. <laughs> not a chance any fan can say we are corrupt or awful or whatever the usual fan thing is when a referee makes a mistake but no it's just the thing that needs overhauling and a lot more money put into it isn't technology it's the refereeing that's what needs the upheaval not more and more technology i've said it before and i'll say it again i'd much rather have the once a season clanger the john terry in the 3-3 that we've seen in past years that sort of thing than 10 minutes of us waiting around for another referee to make the same inept, awful decision that the referee on the pitch would have made. Has it yeah. affected your match going experience? You know, when Everton score a goal now, Gav, you, you know, I think I don't know yeah. if you're an exuberant celebrator or, or not anyway, when Everton score, but yeah. do, do you sort of have that 
in the back of your mind. I that think everybody does now, don't yeah. they? Mm-hmm. Even even goals where clearly nothing is wrong with that goal. People are waiting that there's something hidden that's not yeah. obvious here. Even Gilfie a, Sigurdsson yeah. at West against yeah. West Ham, yeah. we're all sat there like, yeah. but maybe. <laughs> yeah. like, it's ridiculous. And you know, it's it's. I, I, I get, get uh, Mike's point is, is actually which is worse, you know, the one one or two clangers of the season, or just this ongoing fear during the game of either going to receive a bad decision or actually, you know, you score a goal and everyone's waiting around. And that's just supposed to match going experience. I mean, you go see goal scored. If you if you sort of dilute the that experience, then what I've, you could argue that's enough just to get rid of VAR at that point, you know. And the, there's lots more going on. I, I, yeah, I, I get your point about Brighton because I think that was one of the few decisions you said. Mm-hmm. Publicly, they got yeah. it wrong, haven't they? Which yeah. is the penalty, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, which was quite interesting. Yeah, um, I, I, I think there's a place for it, but I just think it could be managed better. Uh, and don't get me on the offside where you get like sort of these, <laughs> these L square things. And what it looks like one of Matt's lessons in school now, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, when you get that, that you know, protractor house and stuff, <laughs> and like, you know, just not, I mean, that's just nonsense, that, you know. Just uh, very quickly, you know, you want to make a point, Mike. Um, a video that's been doing the round on Twitter the last few days, I don't know if you've seen it, is of Louis Sahar's goal in the 2009 Cup final. Mm. And it was only after watching that back again that I realised PR was offside in the build up. So if yeah. they'd been VAR then, that, that would have been disallowed as well. That's it. It's like the match going experience of the games I've been to this year. It's like there's a sword of Damocles hanging over you a little bit. Is that you are constantly waiting for that final okay or that final no? And it takes so much away. And I know if you asked Sheffield United fans this week, do you like it or do you not like it? Most of them would say they love it right now. But speaking from my perspective, we've had a few calls in our favour. We had the goal against. Um, Phil Foden's goal the other week mm. which was an absolute clangor from the from the linesman and we had the one that was 50-50 that could have and could have knocked on in our favour that was the goal away at United mm. they're the two that you say one of them you go okay Leicester, that's Chilwell against Leicester as well the penalty was given initially yeah exactly yeah. so th- there's a few there that you look at and you go they've, they've been given in our favour but I sit there and I look at them I still think I'd rather not have them given to us than the absolute ineptitude of the rest of it and the lack of enjoyment you can have in goals being scored now mm. that's what not what football always was to me and I think those memories will be diluted for a lot of people going forwards Joe the euphoria you felt as like a really little kid seeing goals scored imagine bringing your kid up to be like you've just absolutely given it absolute bifters and you go hang on <laughs> hang on for a second we'll, well, just... well going back to that point you know you're yeah. talking about the, the PNR uh, yeah. incidents so was, that was our first cup final for what for 14 years yeah. you know Wembley mm-hmm. big game against Chelsea score after 25 seconds Mad. imagine then if you'd have said like you know you've been jumping on down your seat for like a minute yeah. Yeah. it's just I mean that that's like, I mean and then that affects the atmosphere for the rest of the yeah. game and stuff mm-hmm. I mean it, it's 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 everybody's spoken about it. I've got nothing really to add you know but I think it's a system. I think it's a system worth having in some cases, but whether it's overused at the moment. I mean, and to be fair, what it has done, it's shown up the the, the complete inadequacy of the rules of the game, doesn't yeah. it? Where you can be offside for you know, and somebody said uh, the other day, get players with small feet, so they're more or less likely to be. <laughs> you know, I, mean, well, like I think it, it was Tranmere who put out on the Twitter account yeah, wasn't it, it? Yeah. for the Watford game. You know, there's VAR for the first time ever. Yeah. Um, all, all our lads with big noses aren't going yeah. to be playing in this one. Yeah, yeah. but there's more serious point. It has shown up, and, and and that just could be a good thing for the game. Some of the inadequacies of the law, the way yeah. they, the way they are at the moment, and that they're completely out in a fast game, being half an inch offside is not going to make a lot, a lot of difference to things and I think um, if there's a good thing that comes out of all this hopefully we can we can change the laws of, of, of the game to make it a bit more to try and move some of this stuff mm. that we're talking about Yeah, um, let's move on let's have a chat about the, the match winner um, Richarlison um, he started every single game for every in every single competition for Everton this season Mike um, he's on 10 goals for the campaign now and I think the thing that struck me out his goal at the weekend was just yeah, we speak about what is he and what he's what is he going to become as a footballer. When he got the ball in the box, everything just looked so natural and so instinctive to him. And I think when you see that, you think this is a lad we need to get in the penalty area as much as possible. Oh, absolutely! I think you've had it right for quite a while, Matt. The playing him out on the left wing is a bit ineffective, and the idea that he is just a, more of a penalty box striker, I think, is a lot closer to the truth. I think we've seen that more this season with. 
just when he's picked it up on the left hand side and failed to beat a fullback or failed to beat a centre half. And I think we're just noticing those things a little bit more and how well he's done next to Calvert Lewin. I think they brought a lot more out of each other and just those clinical little half a second instincts as we saw at the weekend are just so important for strikers and he's obviously got it. But he really benefited from a few extra days rest. That was pretty evident because yeah. he must be absolutely knackered at this point. I know we look back at when we signed him and he played, when, what was it, like, was it 18 months yeah, of just preparing football, yeah. like, constantly with no rest and you don't want to get to a situation where at the end of this season he goes, what, is there another, I can't I don't even know, it's another South American tournament this summer? Might no, be. I don't think there is. is there, I think? I don't think, because it's Copper America last summer, wasn't it, okay. so... Well, it might be. Might not be. Who knows? <laughs> there'll be football Jordan. There will be. Just say yeah. that. There'll be in some form. Yes. He'll be playing somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There will be football. Watch the football, as David <laughs> yeah, yeah, always yeah, yeah. says. Um, Get up to the Brazil Beach 40 team. Yeah, yeah exactly. Or so he, just, he definitely is going to need to be managed, I think, a little bit carefully over these next couple of weeks, just before we get to that February break. You don't, I don't really want to see him get to the end of the season and come back next season burnt out because... Everton really need him, that's evident. I think you look at the last, what, nine or ten goals Everton have scored and him and Calvert-Lewin dominate that list. They're just so important to Everton actually winning football matches. Yeah, I I, I think he's he's obviously our best player, isn't he? Mm. I think Mm -hmm. you can quite clearly say that without anybody creating it. He's our best player. Did I say if you were a bigger club than Everton, you were looking to buy one of players, he would be the top top list of Mm. anybody's shopping list, wouldn't he? Mm. Well, he probably Uh, gets into... I was saying this on our show this week. He probably gets into every side in the league apart from the top two. Would you say? No, but he could play for them and not look out of place, yeah. which is more, you know, just important, you know. Um, so definitely, I think he's becoming more and more of a leader on the. You know, when you see him as he's driving determination. I think there's been, dare I say, a discernible change in the sort of demeanour and attitude since we had the the sort of diving stroke going to ground far too easily. Article, <laughs> not article. No, yeah, I mean, yeah. I think Paul. Paul yeah. I think Paul. Paul article was fair enough. I'm just saying, it goes to ground too easy. And that's yeah. a concern of the club. Didn't say he dives. Um, you know that whole thing about his, you know, his general on the pitch attitudes because he, he had a really bad fall, didn't he, in the second half? Did he? I don't really see it. When yeah, he, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that was quite a, that looked quite nasty, but he was he was up and running. Uh, and I think uh, he is our best player. He's rapidly becoming a sort of figurehead for the for the team. And he's in a good run of form, and I'm absolutely made up with him. I think, to be fair, recruitments, we've had stick with recruitments over the last four years, as you may talk about later. And he, he, he's, he's, you know, what would his market value be now? Yeah. You know? Upwards of 100 million. It's just yeah. signing a new contract. That's, that's already that's where it lies now. If you want 80 million quid for Wilfred Zaha, it's more than that for him. Yeah. Um, I think it's been really interesting to see how he's come come on a little bit since Marco Silva left the club. I think it could have gone one or two ways at that time. You could have seen the lad who was obviously really, really disappointed when he left um, Watford, you know, the social media post and then being fairly invisible for the re- remainder of the season and with Watford fans being pretty 50-50 on whether it was a good deal to let him go in the end. Um, and this hasn't been the case this time. He's stood up and absolutely come to the fore. And I think... It'll be interesting for him within his own mind whether it's been a good or bad thing to have that separation from someone he sees as a father figure. Whether, as Gav was saying, the idea of him, his demeanour on the pitch definitely, I think, has changed a little bit in the sense that I know he's always got that massive sulk on his face, like he's got <laughs> the weight of the world on his shoulders, but the sense that everybody's out to get him or that little bit of a childish thing of throwing his arms up the air and just sullenly skulking back to the benches when he's taken off, those sorts of things have come away a little bit. And I don't know whether he felt that was more acceptable because he had that figure there at the club always around him and that has now gone. Maybe he's had to step up in that sense. Do you think with that in mind, if Everton had gone for a manager in a similar mould to Marco Silva, who is, you know, still relatively unproven, very much a head coach rather than a manager. Bringing someone in like Angelotti, you're thinking of a Charleston's mindset, he's probably got to the, the Marco Silva's gone. Mm. You're bringing someone of a similar ilk, he's probably, you know, shrugs his shoulders, not that happy. But if you're bringing in someone like Angelotti, you think this is a chance for a fresh start. And, you know, for some 
for someone to be working on someone with fresh eyes on my game? Um, absolutely. I think he would have found it div- very difficult to connect to say if he would have gone out and gone, let's say, Niko Kovac, someone of that sort of ilk, young up-and-coming manager, different ideas. Boys. Yeah, just, well, you could go either way, yeah. whichever. But the fact that they brought in someone who was obviously renowned for his man management abilities is obviously a massive bonus. But as you say, with Ancelotti being Carlo Ancelotti, it always helps. I think all the players will be like that. Yeah. That actually yeah, yeah. needs to be there. What I like about Richarlison is he scored goals, but it's not games. He's not particularly played well. He stunk the gaff out at was it City. Mm. Thought yeah, he was really yeah. poor, you know. Uh, again, tiredness and all this type mm. of stuff um, comes into it, and uh, he still scored that. He's got a lot of goals against big sides, you know, as well. Yeah, you know, yeah Liverpool, it's... Leicester, yeah, uh, City, Chelsea, of course, the opener. Lots of very good headers as well. Yeah, well, it was interesting that goal on. Um, on Saturday, it was his first in the Premier League. It was right foot this season. Really? Yeah, <laughs> uh, that was just that was just mad. I mean, I like stats, and that sort of made me, you know, yeah, excited. You know, but <laughs> yeah. no, no, seriously, because the one the winner at Southampton was he scored the winner at Southampton. Yeah, it was his left foot. foot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think his game's not not just about goals, though, is he? Like, you know, it's not a Lukaku who's yeah. not going to offer you much else. His game's a lot more than that. And I, I just, I just really like him as a player now, and I really like his place within the team and and his attitude. And he, he's still relative. What is he? Twenty three? Twenty two. Twenty two. Yeah. Twenty three in May. You, you see his record for twenty two year old compared to twenty two year old strikers, mm. and his record of goal scoring, stroke performances, and it'd be as good as good as anybody around. To be mm. honest with you. Mm. And I think um, we've got a real, real gem there. If he, if he keeps keeps a level head and keeps his performance levels up, and naturally as he gets older, get far more game intelligence, he can become a really, you know, hmm. you know, a top player. You know? yeah. I think. Well, it's nice to have two strikers. I suppose, Mike, you could say. They should be targeting 20 goals by the end of the season. That's just what I was about to say. It's yeah. nice to have two strikers who seem to both be constantly improving their abilities and they both seem to be pushing each other to get the best out of each other, which is excellent. And you could play them in a lot of different systems at this point. Obviously, it depend on which midfielders are available. <laughs> but at the end of the season, Everton hopefully will have looked back on six months of two strikers being able to really develop themselves and form what could be a very good partnership. Yeah, there is, there is as every every cloud as a so every silver lining as a cloud is. Is it worrying though that those two have monopolised the goal score and so much? I think that I think that run goes back to November, doesn't it? Something yeah. like that, mm-hmm. in the middle of November. So on our, yeah. I put it out on our Twitter account in the week yeah. that the last ten goals, Dom scored five, Richardson scored four, and the other one was an own goal for yeah. Man United. In, that's in the Premier League, of course. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it may it may even be eleven or twelve. But it's that it's a bit like last year. It was Sigurdsson last year and. Mm-hmm. Richardson with yeah. our primary goal scorers in the in the Premier League, weren't they? I think Gilfie's got uh, one, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> something like that, which speaks volumes in itself. But that it does that prove the point. Are we worried as a as a team that if they have an off day or injured, is, where who else is going to score goals for us <laughs> at the moment? I think yeah. we need to see a little bit more of Bernard getting a getting a decent run because obviously I think he's got a couple this season, yeah, but obviously yeah. that comes with caveats of injuries and all sorts of midfield shake arounds. I think. You just need one to go in from Moisey Keane, just one from, from somewhere, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and yeah. then you get the feeling that he'll go on and get a few. Yeah. I think he will. I mean, Bernard is, you know, he, he plays well on yeah, on, he's on, yeah. on um, Saturday. Where I think the current four four two, if you could call that, with Bernard suits him is, you know, he's playing on the left hand side. Still, he's playing a little bit deeper, isn't he? He's probably mm-hmm. playing twenty yards yeah. deeper than a four four two than what he would be playing mm-hmm. in. In a three and a four-two-three-one, so he's naturally got more space to operate in too, and also he can move inside with a bit more freedom without, and, and you know without people, you know, uh, opposition being being really close to him. Like he would be if you play four-two-three-one, move inside, you'll have a full-back, baby central defender covering. Yeah, moving further up the pitch, you're not under as much pressure, and you can that's no such passing is a lot better, isn't it? And stuff because mm-hmm. you've got more more time to play play the ball and. He is definitely one player who's more suited to our current setup than playing four two three one Bernard. Mm. I think. Yeah, but yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, yeah, good stuff. Positives to take from that going into West Ham uh, after the break. We'll have a chat about the AGM, which might not have been quite as positive. We'll be right back here on Radio City Talk. We are back on the Blue Room for part two of your weekly show, Mike. And Gav is still in the studio with me, and it was that time of year again this week. It was Everton's AGM. Um, all sorts of interesting things said about that, um, but we're going to focus on the accounts, the sort of big headline from the night. 
Everton with losses of over 110 million for a 13-month term. Uh, they put the month back to sort of align with the player contracts. Um, Gal, I'll come to you first on this one. Is, is, is this something that, when you heard these numbers, obviously it's a, it's a pretty big number, did it make you a little bit concerned, or is this very much the, the nature of, of Monday football and where Everton are as a club at the moment? Um, better both. I, I think it's um, well well acknowledged as being knocking about for, for, in, for a while that it's going to be a bad year financially for the club for lots of reasons. Um, that Consequently, we, I think figures bandied around 80, 90 million. Mm. But once you've time, times the fact it's a 13 month year, um, it's to be expected. You know, we all know about the size of our wage bill, we all know about how much a player value we're carrying in the accounts mm. in terms of accounting for that. No European football mm. for, for you know, which we had the year before. Um, so it was always, we're going, always going to be a difficult, difficult year financially for us. Um, and it may the, the problem I've got the issue I've got is and uh, it's not something that's going to change quickly because mm. so much of our money in our accounts is, is, the, is the value of the you know the cost of the squad mm. you know the the, the 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 annual wages and the, the cost of their transfer fees yeah and we all know that the problem of, of the, all those highest earners who ain't m- m- potentially moving in the next 18 months or so so whether that can whether that can change next year, I don't think our cost will change. It's whether going forward we can pull a few more commercial rabbit holes of the hat mm. to try and balance the books, you know. Um, so it's it's not not so much this year is is the problem really because we know it's always going to be bad years. What we can do to rectify it in the next couple of years, you know. And whilst I mean some of the cost there is is not necessarily counted towards financial fair play yeah. and Premier League. They've got like the Bramley Moore cost, you know, being there and. And other stuff, you know, that academy costs and, and things like that. Um, but it's it's about. I don't think our costs are going to reduce sub- substantially over the next eighteen months to two years. It's about getting our income up. Mm. And that means qualifying for Europe, finishing as high up as we can in the Premier League, and trying trying to get better commercial deals. You know. Um, you did really well booking today, show Mac, because you know me, I love chatting about finance <laughs> and Everton and stadiums and all that. But um, obviously, it's. It's bad news, isn't it? It's when you take away all of those academy things that you can take off the final bill, then it's still pretty massive. And the issue really is that, as Gav was saying, you look this summer, you get rid of who is it? Martina, Nias, and Stecklenberg are out of contract. It's the only three. Leighton Baines, obviously, as well, but you're not counting him as excess on the wage mm. bill. Um, next summer, Yannick Balassi, then Sandro. Summer after that. You've got Sigurdsson, I think, Schneiderlin. It's just, it's going to take a long time. And you've got to sell these players. You can't just sell them for buttons. It will then negatively affect FFP. You've got to sell them for a decent sum to actually make a dent in it. It's it's going to need some excellent director of footballing, I think might be the technical term for it. <laughs> it, it is, but, I mean, Sanzo was another one. I mean, yeah. Bess, when's Bessage contract at the top of my head? Oh, mean, God, that uh, might be more than Bessage has been at the club since 2014 yeah. has played 50 games for us I think and is still here you know I know we yeah. said Sheffield but Sheffield went now so his contract expires in the summer by the yeah, way yeah, right, okay yeah. yeah so but his right is that but the really big earners you know the Schneiderlands the Walcotts the Sigurdsons Tosin £100,000 Sanzo was a big contract as well yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, they're not you know yeah. so it's going to be maybe 18 months as I say two years before we bring the wage well down, but we want to track players in as well, don't we? You know, uh, so it's it, it's not next year was last year was always going to be a bad year. It, it's as Mike was saying there, it, it's how we manage the next couple of years, mm. and the only way we can get our financial figures better, I think, is by getting more income in, and uh, because the costs are going to be the same. I mean, our wages are in that red category, aren't they? Yeah. For, for like rate, rate wages to turnover uh, ratio, which is never a good place to be. Um, as well so it, it's the challenge is the next couple of years isn't it well really? leaves two options doesn't it as you said before sponsorship or a big sale they're the two realistic yeah. options mm. and nobody really wants to think about the latter but that's unfortunately how Leicester are doing what they're doing it's how Wolves do what they do it's how most teams do that aren't at that stratospheric level that can just hoover up mm. yeah. any sense of deduction or whatever it is that'll be thrown at yeah, them yeah because last year we, I think we already made the loss was at 13 million last yeah. year, something mm. like that. And that's because we sold Lukaku. Yeah. Um, 
um, for 75 million because last year we would have made a loss of about know 70 80 million mm. but we sold the car so it was a profit so uh, but we haven't sold anybody that way worse uh, obviously in the last 12 months um yeah it's, it's going to be incessant you know it's the challenge for the club with the new manager we want new players and everybody knows mm. that but then we want to be solvent <laughs> yeah but it's, it, it's a it's a massive that, conundrum isn't it you know that's where it's interesting i think i think the angelotti factor in all this is very interesting because he's obviously been he's obviously been paid a decent amount but you sort of get the sense that that wouldn't have been enough to convince him to come to everton you feel as though it would have needed to be a big wage and promise of being able to spend big money, money in the summer yeah. so with, with that in mind you know and we are very much reading between the lines here does that does that point towards everton being a bit more frugal in the spending or does it you know, suggest that they're going to keep you know speculating to accumulating, if you will. It could do if you were thinking about it sensibly, but I would add the massive elephant in the room that is. So right now, on over the three-year period, correct me if I'm wrong, but we would sit quite closely to that limit right now. Well, obviously, on it, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So why were we willing to pay fifty million pounds for Wilfred Zaha? In it was the more sun? than that, wasn't it? Yeah. What? Yeah, that's a bit terrifying. I think like there's no answer there to the, what would have happened we would be like properly over it wouldn't we yeah, yeah. yeah. so there's, there's, there's i said there may be a few dare i say rabbit holes of the hat um <laughs> at some point in the in the future but there's only like sponsorship deals for us the market tested andy for us as a club so mm-hmm. we can't get a stadium sponsored like 100 million quid or something it's about like our value <laughs> so it, it's, it's going to be interesting and and i think as a club we want everything to be done and it, it's going to be a mighty challenge the tran- transfer kitty during the summer could be an interesting amount. I mean, is there a case of like, listen, Carlo, yeah, you can have players, but you're going to have to maybe sell one of your bigger players, you know, yeah. one of whom we may have mentioned already on the on on the yeah. uh, on the pod, and it's going to be interesting. that's what lots of other clubs in our position have yeah. done, you know. So it's a, it's going to be a difficult few years whilst we're trying to manage to move. Do you, do you think that that will sort of pierce the? consciousness of, of Everton fans because I think as a fan base I'm not you know just from what I can grasp here, I'm not speaking for everybody by any means but it feels like if we were to sell a player like that there would be uproar over it whereas you know like like Mike and, and yourself have said already Gav that you know a lot of clubs are happy to work on that model you know Leicester sold Harry, Harry Maguire for huge money they sold Mahrez and, and Kante for, for big money down the years as well and they've just got on with it but it feels very much a case like if, if a Charleston was to leave in the summer then it wouldn't be it yeah. wouldn't be accepted as, as as part of the process. Oh, yeah, I'm not saying Evans would sell Richarlison here, by the way. Yeah. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just saying this. It's like if we're He's talking a very about sellable more, asset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's why we big. We put ten million on this value today on this uh, <laughs> this broadcast, haven't <laughs> yeah. we? Really, you know, is yeah. But it depends what you do then. If you bring players mm. in, it's a slightly slightly different thing. Um, and then if results pick up, you know, it's a bit like when we sold Rooney, wasn't it, two thousand and four. Um, finish fourth the following year and that's not going to happen again but it uh, may happen again <laughs> it, it depends what you do with the money um, and how much is available it, it's I would like to have heard what the conversations were between Carlo before he joined the club about future transfer fees because the people working for him would have done their research wouldn't mm, he yeah. over Evans finances so the fact that he's joined indicates to me that, that there's going to be stuff there how we do it is just Perhaps there's a little bit, a bit of black box so, thinking at the moment. See, I, lo- see, I love the idea of him, of him finding out on stage for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's the first time. Yeah. Like, Hang yeah, on a yeah, second, yeah, no, yeah, I wasn't aware yeah. of this, lads. Yeah, you could have, you could have forewarned me. Yeah. <laughs> um, just purely for my own curiosity, because I am very, very useless at these sorts of things. If Everton massively went over the FFP limit and just said hell to it, we're just going to take the repercussions. Is that a points deduction or just a fine? I'm not sure on that. I think it's more. It's more of an issue if you're playing in your way sure, competitions, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. But the Premier League has its own rules, isn't yeah. it? It's under yeah. five million over three years. So um, I am not somebody listening may be able to catch me. I can't think of anybody who's been pulled up by the Premier League mm. no. over it in the recent uh, in the recent past. I mean, we are the club of first. So yeah, that's yeah, a good yeah, point. yeah. We'll, <laughs> if it was going to happen to anyone, we'll, we'll, we'll get we'll be eight points above the relegation zone. We we'll get fined fifteen <laughs> points, won't we? That'll be that'll be everything that for you. But it's not the point, is it? About yeah. but uh, it, it's it's you know this is what Shady said. This it's about an ongoing profitable business that everybody wants. Yeah. That mm. that way the sustainability. That's what we want. Forget about rules, but that's what that's what we need to be. And we're nowhere near that at this stage. And it's going to take 
take careful management over the next two, three, four years and probably more to, to get us back on, on even keel, to be honest with you. And a lot, a lot of sponsorship. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose I can imagine that will be a roof deal go down, yeah. Um, just, we've got a, a couple of minutes left in, in this part. Um, the final part of the show will be some instant reaction from myself and Mark Mosey from the AGM about all the other things apart from the losses, but we'll get stuck into to all that. But um, it is West Ham on Saturday, lads. Um, Mike, I, I, I probably enjoyed Everton's performance against West Ham in this fixture last season as much as any game. Uh, they just turned up at the London Stadium and absolutely bossed them. But thinking about that game... Earlier today, the thing that stands out for me was how good Andre Gomez and Idrissi Gay were in that game. And Everton have got neither of them going into this fixture. And as as powder puff as West Ham have been and, and the issues they've got, I think that's the, the biggest decision for Carlo Angelotti to make going into this one, that, that midfield setup and, and who he decides to play there. Yeah, our transitional spine was really good that day. So, Kertuma, Idrissi yeah. Gay, <laughs> Andre Gomez. Yeah, we are missing all three. Um, Bernard was also very good that day, yeah. to be fair. Um, and as Gav was saying before off air, well, he's on a run of two goals against them now. You can be the next Lukaku and <laughs> yeah. be up scored in yeah. nine or ten. Yeah. Every yeah. Ten in a row, yeah. 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 Um, I think it'll be an interesting game, but that midfield battle is massive because I remember this this fixture last year, we all spoke about how poor we thought Declan Rice was. I think our midfield absolutely ran rings around them and obviously Everton's midfield at the moment is nothing to shout about and it's it's going to take a lot of graft to beat any midfield at the moment. That's just how it is with Everton, unfortunately. And I know it's really good to see Andre Gomez back at Finch Farm um, this week. So you do hope that he's back in the next month and Gabamin gets back in the next month or so and they can actually start building on a half-decent squad of midfield players rather than just bare-bones playing people out of position or fourth or fifth choices because that's unfortunately where we are. But... I do fancy us for this game purely because I don't think West Ham's midfield is something to shout about either. I think Declan Rice is the only really established player in there at the moment. I think obviously there were rumours about them buying Gedson Fernandez, who seems to be off to spares and a lot of talk now about Joe Allen, the sort of midfielder they do really need at the moment. They are missing that sort of presence and unfortunately that's the position Everton will have to capitalise on. Unfortunately, it's their weakest position on the pitch at the minute. Yeah, I think it's... I think it's a bit like a little bit like Brighton playing us on Saturday. If they Brighton had scored first on Saturday, there would have been yeah. a lot of uh, mm. you know. It's, it's, yeah, one reflection on Saturday, nearly conceded right at the start of the game. You know yeah. where there was a hole gate and yeah, <laughs> there was that loose yeah. back pass. You're thinking <laughs> yeah. if that had gone in, yeah. help us. You know, <laughs> thirty seconds at the start. And I think there's a little bit a bit of that on on Saturday. If that we can get an early goal there, it'd be interesting to see how their crowd reaction. And stuff like that. So I think that's uh, what we did in the game against the Zuma scored very early. Didn't yeah, yeah, we scored. Yeah, they, yeah. They had that. Yeah, um, I don't up. understand the dynamic between them and Moyes at the moment. I don't understand. Like as you're saying, an early goal against them. Obviously, any goal's fantastic. Any away game you go, but would it incite meltdown there? Like are they that against it? I can't tell because you know the way. Obviously, they'll look at it from a point of adversity, losing against Sheffield United the way they did, mm. coming off the half decent win against. Bournemouth was it Bournemouth yeah. I can't tell whether it would be like an absolute they carnage feel, they feel like a club who are always close to that that's what I mean though. like you can't tell whether it would just be enough no matter when it was or who it was to just go right that's the touch paper lip get the baldy fella on with the flag yeah, I, think it, I think it's more the owners isn't it Yeah, yeah. With, with with West Ham isn't it and, and the move to the, the stadium isn't it really that I think is, is the issue but yeah, that classic, you know, top ten footy cliches. The first goal is crucial. Yeah. I think that applies for both teams on uh, on on Saturday. You know, and I think we've got it in, in us to win win the game. To be honest, with you. league form, I'd say, fourteen points from seven games is as being good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If we maintain the level on Saturday that we have done over that seven games, then I think we've got it in us in us to win it. To be honest with you. It's a big game for Everton, to be honest with you, because if they win it, then they need, let's say, probably is it three more wins, and they'd be safe thinking about it and from where we were before Ferguson took over and getting beat by Norwich in the derby and those sorts of things that's a big turnaround yeah. in such a short space of time and I look at it I was saying before off air that if Everton win this game I would almost guarantee that Everton wouldn't sign anyone this window because there would be very little pressure to do that from where they were there would be no real 
opportunities unless they went out and found someone like Yuri Thielmans who was available and they don't seem to be available at the moment then there's no real business that would need doing for the foreseeable future and that would be really good news for Everton because especially after the accounts you look yeah. at it and you think Everton just need a couple of January's off yeah <laughs> yeah now it gives Carlo good opportunities to look at the players which I mean he's shown he's shown signs of that in the way he's selected yeah. the team hasn't he even mm. his few games so I agree I mean if we win on Saturday and results go for all of a sudden you're in Wolves Sheffield United territory two yeah. teams are having good league seasons yeah. you think ours has been a disaster well actually you know some reasonably good fixtures coming up as well you know mm. dare I say you know if we carry on you know <laughs> could get some Europa League next year yeah. Well, yeah. we, we actually so good, really yeah. could do yeah easy yeah. like the interesting one is for one to start is that if Carlo Ancelotti wins, then he's already beaten Everton's entire away form total from the first half of the season. Yeah, there you so go. there you go. Oh, yeah. that's a weird I, yeah, yeah. I, I just love the idea, like you said, there, Everton going. We're doing dry January it's in regards to transfers this year, lads. No signings whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. After after the, the walk off Tosin, the Barco, yeah, yeah, we're not one of time. Yeah, it was a it's hundred million loss, Carlo. Not hundred million profit. We were talking about. Are they going? to win Mike I think they will do I think they'll win 2-0 yeah I agree I, I expect something similar to last uh, last season to be brilliant stuff would absolutely yeah. love that um, final part of the show coming up uh, myself and Mark Mosey going through the rest of the AGM thanks very much to Gav and to Mike we'll be right back here on Radio City Talk with the Blue Room Okay, we are back on the Blue Room uh, since AGM has just finished uh, in the Philharmonic Hall. We are now in the Philharmonic pub, uh, looking resplendent as ever. I'm joined by Mark Mosey. Um, it was eventful as usual, wasn't it, Mark? Yeah, um, it, it was. We, we get an array of people across the football club talking at these sorts of things, and, and that goes right from the top in terms of the chairman right down to your disgruntled fan, who, who <laughs> uh, as you always get at these things, you know, important issues raised and there's so much passion in the room and I think that you always think that it's got the potential to boil over in these situations and for people to start pointing actual team directions at yeah. one of the most decorated football managers that's ever lived <laughs> but um, yeah it, it's, it's great to get an insight into obviously not only the things that we see on the pitch but everything that we know that the club does well in terms of Everton in the community uh, and obviously at the moment a, a pioneering stadium move that I think w- the club are very are very honest and frank about in terms of how difficult and, and primarily how expensive that is going to be um, but I think that that's just one key feature of the club which we get fantastic insight into and it's a, it's a privilege to, to be able to, to have people at, at the top of the club in terms of obviously tonight Bill Kenwright but also people like Marcel Brands who as we both said in the AGM tonight you, you kind of know what that guy's job is and, and you know what his directive is and, and what his MO is at the start of every every single transfer window, but I think it's very important, and, and in particular on the back of the criticism that we've that we've heard in terms of the club hierarchy in recent months, to hear from him and from his mouth, and I think that that was vital input tonight. Uh, probably a bit of a uh, nervy start for Marcel after uh, he was there's one I think it was Professor Cannon in the room opted not to re-elect him or passed him tried to pass a motion not to re-elect him uh, onto the board that that didn't get voted through, um, but a bizarre and fiery start to to the AGM seriously but um, you know neither me or you are particularly savvy in football business or football finance so you know we'll probably leave it to two other people to assess the accounts and assess the losses and all that kind of thing but the headline news coming out of it um, is that Everton have agreed an option with uh, USM to effectively nay have the stadium rights uh, to 30 million payments up front um, and they're going to they're gonna take it from there really um, and in a month where Alicia Osmanoff has spoken candidly about investing in the club um, in a year where USM has sponsored the training ground um, it's more of his fingerprints all over this football club now isn't it? Yeah absolutely and I think it, it goes some way into as you say trying to read a little bit into the insight of what those figures mean that financial fair play is the first thing that comes to, to the front of everyone's mind when we see these sorts of three-year projections and obviously Everton are relatively comfortably within that at the moment but I think the figures released for the last financial year obviously shed a little bit of light on the fact that Everton need to have a very very intelligent and and in some ways a very careful year off the pitch Um, clearly USM gives a little bit of breathing space to that I think there's a there's an affordability not only for the acceptance of what 30 million pounds as an option brings to the club but I think it's a projection for decades to come that USM will be involved 
um, not necessarily purely from a naming point of view but also financially as well I think that there's no secret in terms of the, the involvement obviously we don't know to what extent that is at the moment of Alicia Rusmanov but I think he does at least give you a little bit of a cushion when you do come out of these meetings and think well I, I, as an Everton fan of 25 years and years gone by if you've walked out of that room tonight and you've been told that you'd lost £100 million pound in the year then it, yeah. it, it would send shivers down your spine and I think there's a there's an acceptance now whereby alright we, we see figures that are equally daunting but you've got people like Farhad Mashiri at the top of the club who has now raised his total investment over his tenure to £350 million pounds, which as Bill Kenwright repeated today is exceptional uh, but you've got someone like Alicia Usmanov who you just feel is on the cusp of being able to provide whatever support he can to primarily his friend but also to a business that, that means a lot to him albeit we're not the team that he grew up supporting and we'll never be his arsenal but we don't necessarily need him to be that we need him to be a savvy businessman and potentially a major investor in the football club and I think it, the there is a there is a scent now that that is the way that this is going. Yeah, certainly for me, it's another small indicator, albeit that this stadium project, you know, we all, we all know it's serious. It's you know the club yeah. have reached the stars, they've done the due diligence, um, but it feels like we've got a name for it. Effectively, now it's going to be the USM Stadium or Arena or something like that. It just makes it feel again that that one percent extra extra real in that regard. Yeah. Um, a few other things from the night you mentioned, Marcel Brands there. Uh, some of the, the things he said and did were quite interesting. Uh, a couple of players who he, you know, unceremoniously buried in, in uh, Umani Ass and uh, Kuko Martina by not even including them on the pitch in his, in his misfits 11. Um, he also said Michael Keane was here, albeit Yerry Mina and Mason Hoggate were doing well. Um, but it, on a series, though, what did you make of his assessment of the squad and, and the way in which he wants to build the squad as a whole? I think what you can appreciate from him when he talks is there's an honesty and a ruthlessness about how he goes about his business. Um, he was very frank, as you mentioned, with, with some players in terms of them not being part of either the immediate or the long-term future of the club. And as much as you don't want players to be hung out to dry, you, you want an acceptance that the people who are in, in charge of the playing staff are aware of where the weaknesses are. And I think he, he definitely gives you the impression that he has that. Um, for example, he, he, he raises a point in terms of offloading a number of players, not only permanently, but on loan. And with Cheng Tosin being one of those recently, he's not afraid to highlight that this is someone who is not only not primarily involved in the match day squad a great deal, but is also costing the football club a great deal of money. Yeah. And if we're going to come out and scratch your heads about some of the figures that are released then it's nice to know that when it gets down to literally the grassroots and, and the playing staff that there is an assurance for me that Marcel Brands is aware of where this football club is at the moment he is very aware of the weakness in terms of the balance of the squad he outlines the fact that he wants 23 key senior first team players the fact that he came in and we have 38 um pretty much all of those I would I would argue not necessarily to the quality that he needs it to be but he's not afraid to go in at one transfer window to, to offload I think it was 24 players in one window um, yeah, we, we argue about where the vast majority of his attention lies and we scratch our heads about where the guy is when we're looking to sign players offloading 24 first team players in one transfer window is a monumental amount of work and I think he recognises that, that is <laughs> Unfortunately, the first major stepping stone if we are going to progress the playing stuff. We've got so much deadwood that needs moving on. And I think he is prioritising that in terms of transfer business as his key motive. Yeah. Uh, Carlo Ancelotti in the room as well tonight. Um, he himself said he's never quite been in a meeting like, like that before. Um, but it's interesting to hear him speak. And, you know, it's was, it was sort of one of those senses where, you know, we've, we've all seen him on the sidelines. We've all seen him in press conferences. Um, seen him in the room and, you know, you said to me at one point, uh, Carlo Ancelotti's leaning on the stage there, just addressing Evertonians about the football club. It was a little bit surreal still, isn't it, even at this point? Yeah, I think the cynic in you probably looks at, at the comments that he made about never being involved in this meeting before and think, well, that, that's probably because Real Madrid and AC Milan were, were quite happy to let him just go and win European <laughs> titles around the, the continent. But I think we, we all know and everything about the Ancelotti appointments is, is focused around opportunism and if you've got the opportunity to put someone like Carlo Ancelotti in front of your club shareholders at a major AGM then you absolutely take it. I think that the thing that impresses me most about him away from the football pitch is his ability and his confidence in terms of addressing massive rooms of people. I think you could, you could afford him a lot of time and 
expense in terms of not necessarily having the confidence to stand up in terms of that room and, and address a, a lot of people about a football club that for argument's sake they might know a lot more about but I think what we need to account for and give him a lot of time for is the fact that he knows a lot more about this sport luckily um, there, there was one particular question tonight which questioned how Carlo Ancelotti was going to integrate the dogs of war spirit into this football team and unfortunately we're not looking for a major European manager to come in and do that the reason that we have not won anything through those dogs of war years um, we are well yeah <laughs> but we're talking 30 years since this club has had anything major to shout about um, and as much as a lot of the fans in the room have seen times where success has been a year in year out given there has to be an acceptance now that someone like Carlo Ancelotti knows a lot, a lot more about winning in modern day football um, but as I say the, the, the main thing is obviously the connection that he seems to have not only with Marcel Brands but importantly with Duncan Ferguson who obviously has a, a major role to play in this setup now um, and the fact that he is he, he does give you that assurance and that confidence that he is capable of building close rapport with not only staff members but with, with key team members as well we, we've heard so much from former Real Madrid, former AC Milan, former Chelsea, whoever it may be, in particular key members of the squad who resonate with Ancelotti so closely and are so complimentary in terms of the bonds that he's able to, to build between himself and team members, but also that, that spirit that he's able to, to embellish in a team. And I think if, if you are going to touch on the the personality traits and the, and the dogs of war-esque traits that you want put into this team then I think what you're looking for is someone who's able to to tap into the personality of his team and I think he is very much capable of doing that yeah um, really interesting stuff throughout the night um, like I said we'll have more reactions to this on the Blue Room and over on Blue Room Extra as well if you're here a bit more from us every week you can get 20 hours plus extra content it's at patreon.com slash Blue Room Extra thanks very much to Mark that's been your reaction to the AGM here at the Philharmonic Hall Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better, you really can do it. But nobody is going to do it for you. And nobody has to because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.